another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we are talking some scary movies. I appreciate everybody tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can get the video version at 8.30 p.m. on YouTube at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Obviously, if you're watching this, though, make sure to hit that subscribe button, like, and share it as well, too. Or if you're listening to the audio version there, that means you've caught us on Podbean or on Spotify, where we are at as well, too, which I appreciate you checking us out on those channels. Make sure to subscribe to those as well. And again, like and share me uh, share as well. We want to get the word out there, folks. And of course, if you want to join our watch parties, you got to go to the Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash T scary movie. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash T scary movie. And then finally, if you want to catch some of my scary thirst traps, find me on Instagram. That's Theron underscore Reynolds or on Twitter at Axdew, A-X-D-E-W. So we got a good show for you here this week. Uh, we are going to be talking uh, the best of 2021. Yes, the time has come, folks. It is the last show of the year. It is time for us to look back and decide what were the top 10 of 2021. And for once, we're not actually going to talk about the worst. Um, kind of want to get away from doing that there because uh, I'm appreciating movies and series and the work people put in more and more. There's definitely shit that came out this year I was not a fan of, but we're not going to focus our time on that. We're just going to talk about the really, really good stuff. Now, with that, keep in mind, Obviously, I'm not going to be able to talk about things that I just haven't seen. There have been a lot of really good horror films, uh, shows, all that kind of stuff that came out this year that I just did not have the chance or the availability to actually check that out there. So keep that in mind. My list is comprised of the films that I've been able to review for you guys and been able to see separately, even if I didn't review, but they have to have been released in 2021. That is the hard, fast rule, which means that one of the films that I absolutely loved reviewing and watching earlier this year, Hunter Hunter, um, absolutely loved that film. Fantastic ending, great acting all around from everybody in it. Uh, I can't actually put on the top 10 of this year because it was released in 2020, even though I didn't see it until the beginning of this year. But I will say, Hunter Hunter, you did slot yourself in as the third best film of 2020, third best horror film of 2020 there. Uh, so there's that. So we're going to get to that a little bit later there. We're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about some honorable mentions that I had for this year. And then we're going to get into the bottom five. We're going to do 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6. Next week, I'll cover the top five. But before we do that, we got to talk about Dexter New Blood. Y'all know I have been covering Dexter New Blood since it uh, jumped back on here. And I'm excited as we are in the home stretch of that now as well, too. It's kind of crazy to think that after waiting so, so long, you know, it's been eight years since uh, since the end of the previous show. And we're now back in, uh, we're well into New Blood. We're well, well into New Blood. And the fact that the show is almost over now, it's kind of kind of crazy to think about that we only have two episodes left here, uh, which I don't believe in the least bit that that's going to be what's going to happen. I do feel this is going to get a renewal, um, especially based on events that happen in this most recent episode, Unfair Game, episode uh, eight of the season. 
I really think we're just, you know, we're weeks away from hearing that they're going to do another season. Just because all the people involved in the show are absolutely fantastic. I think they have a good idea of where they want to go with another story if they were to follow that up. Because I can't imagine we're going to get much of what's kind of teased and what I think a lot of people are thinking about in these final two episodes. But, unfair game left off with Dexter realizing that he needs to just come clean to Harrison. He needs to tell him everything because he's losing him and he's losing Harrison to Kurt Caldwell, uh, his his nemesis, the big bad of this season. And he can't afford to do that anymore. He's got to actually, uh, he's, he's got to do something. He's got to open up to him. And we left off the previous episode with Dexter being kidnapped by what we are assuming is an associate of Kurt's. Um, we found out that uh, Kurt definitely knows that Dexter killed his son, Matt, uh, because he found the titanium rod that was in Ma uh, Matt's leg when Dexter uh, burnt his body up. So Kurt's kind of been toying with Dexter uh, the majority of this season because it's very clear he's known about it for quite some time. And there's some kind of nefarious plan that he has involving Harrison. Now, from there, Dexter's trying to escape his captor while trying to get to Harrison and save him because we do know uh, as we see at the beginning of this episode that Harrison is about to spend what could be uh, his last day alive with Kurt Caldwell. And Dexter has to catch up to the both of them. Now, it's funny because last episode I did mention that uh, I've never been the kind of person who thought there there's a lot of filler episodes in shows. Like, I've always been happier with a higher episode count because more is, uh, more is more to me. And more, like, everyone says more is less, you know, when it comes to quality. I always feel more is more. I want more of these characters. I want more of these stories. And last week I said that a lot of people were feeling that last week's episode was like the big filler episode. And uh, I didn't feel that way about last week. But it's weird. As much as I like this episode, Unfair Game, this definitely felt like they were filling it out just because um, the episode took place over the course of just a few hours. And looking back, I can't remember off the top of my head how the other seven episodes of the season, um, what their time commitment has been. And has it been like just a day or two they've been covering an episode? But this episode only covered a few hours. And that's why I guess it felt a lot like filler because the problem is, is that where we left Dexter and where we left Harrison, where we left Kurt, where we left Angela, there were just weren't a, a lot of options of that. You can't really progress the story that fast. So there were parts of this that definitely felt like filler. Dexter being hunted down by Kurt's accomplice um, and like them kind of drawing that, uh, that whole thing out. That felt like a, a lot like filler just because it's like we know Dexter's going to get out of this. This guy is not smart. He's not obviously like any of the people that Dexter has faced in the past who actually did cause them trouble. He just happens to have a gun, you know, and that's the only thing that put put him above Dexter chasing him down. Um, but more importantly, uh, Harrison spending time with Kurt. Um, they're basically running through and Kurt's trying to kind of uh, – Trying to, like, uh, what's the word, uh, groom him a little bit there, which is interesting because it seems like Kurt's really trying to groom Harrison into being the son that he actually wish he had versus uh, what he ended up with Matt. Uh, you know, they go to the school and they play in the batting cages and Harrison takes a lot of abuse, which, you know, you could see that's him kind of just like feeling the pain so he can actually feel some kind of human emotion there. And Kurt's kind of preying on that while all the while Dexter's trying to tell him, get out of there, get out of there, don't trust him. And... 
I don't want to talk a lot about the conversations between Kurt and Harrison or eventually the conversation between Dexter and Harrison because it's well worth the uh, the reveal. It's well worth the watch. We've been building up to it for a while. But, man, those final just few minutes of unfair game. Um, I, I love the fact they had built up that moment throughout the entire season. So um, when it happened and when it uh, when it came out, and Harrison and Dexter are just like, there's finally some open, there's some truth coming between the two of them there. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Because Harrison's been open this entire time. And Harrison, Harrison's been letting out exactly how he's felt and everything he's been going through. And Dexter's been the one who can't even leave breadcrumbs for him at all. So it's leaving heck, uh, Harrison just absolutely in misery. And so we got there finally. Dexter and Harrison had this conversation and it was absolutely worth it um and i'm excited that made me so excited for the next two episodes especially with them them showing uh some of the stuff that's going to happen in the next episode some of these conversations that they're going to have and i guess that's why i fully believe we're going to get another season just because um it seems that they've done what a lot of these series and movies will do when they finally revisit it to where um there's a couple ways this could go and it doesn't seem like Kurt is smart enough to take Dexter out, so I don't think it's going to be Kurt. But I am starting to feel there is a good chance that Audrey might end up getting Dexter in jail, or she might kill Dexter, and that might actually take Dexter out, and we're left with Harrison. I do feel that is where we are going with this, is that Harrison could end up taking over for it, and Dexter could become his dark passenger, um, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I kind of am starting to feel that's where we're going with this. Uh, but that's Dexter New Blood. Um, check it out on Showtime. We got two episodes left. I think we will get a, see, a new season announcement following the end of the series. Um, I don't think it's going to happen before the last two episodes air. But I do think afterwards we're going to get a new announcement. So we'll see what happens. With that, though, it is time to talk the best of twenty. 21 and there was a lot that came out this year folks um i said it last year and earlier this year as well but the one thing this pandemic has been really really kind to is horror films because more studios have been taking chances and they want to put them out because you don't have to make a lot of money with horror films they're typically lower budget you don't really have to worry about getting these like amazing reviews because most horror films don't get these amazing reviews as it is. They're always very mid-range and everything. Um, but horror had a really, really good 2020, and it also had a really, really good 2021 as well, too. So I've been super excited just to see where this was all going to end, uh, end up at. And uh, I was able to place it, and it sucks because, like, I had written it out last week and then I lost that. Like I deleted the message that I was writing this all out for. I was like, no, I'm never going to think of it again. But then it made it very easy because I remember what I really, really enjoyed coming out of this year. So we're going to dive right into it. I want to start with uh, some honorable mentions here. Um, and as I said, things like Hunter Hunter aren't going to be included. Um, the Nick Cage stuff like uh, The Empty Man and Mandy and Color Out of Space. Those aren't eligible uh, either unfortunately love those films but unfortunately they just none of them released in 2021 so i can't use those on the list here either uh so um talk about a few of my honorable mentions first first of all wrong turn 
I really, really wanted to put Wrong Turn on my top 10. Um, but there were just better films. This was not, uh, this only didn't make it because there were better films. That's the case with all of my honorable mentions is that they were just, there were better films that came out above those. They're all still really, really good. And Wrong Turn. Um, I was not expecting to like that movie just because I'm a big fan of the original film with Eliza Dushku um, and Desmond Harrington from Dexter. Uh, I really, really enjoy that film. Was not a fan of the majority of the sequels that got released for it, but I did respect what the series was doing uh, because it went for six films, I believe. And, you know, the story of a group of young adults who happen to take a wrong turn out in the woods and they end up running afoul of a group of inbred murderous cannibals. And that was the story of Wrong Turn. And if you read most of the reviews that came out about this reboot of sorts here, um, you would see that that was not going to be the focus. There weren't going to be any inbred cannibals. Could be some inbreeding, but there weren't going to be cannibals or anything like that. Uh, it was basically keeping the core concept of young adults end up in the woods and they take a wrong turn and they run afoul of a group of people who do not have their best uh, their best wishes at heart. You know, um, I really enjoyed Wrong Turn. Honestly, it felt like two movies, which I feel like I've gotten lucky with a lot of that in the movies I've been watching lately to where the the, the first part of the film felt very much like that wrong turn movie where all this bad shit's happening all the characters they're dying in all these horrible ways whereas the second part of the film was like this epic action revenge thriller with uh, our lead girl trying to escape and uh basically get revenge for everything that happened to her and her friends and i thought it was phenomenal i think it's great in terms of wrong turn as well too um, they make some humorous nods to the original series and everything. They talk about watching a movie with inbred cannibals and everything as well, too. Um, but it's just, it was it was really good. You know, it, it was not fun. I described a lot of horror movies as fun, and this is not a fun movie because it's so, uh, it's, it's, it's a downer. It's very, very depressing and real and everything. And I just had a lot of enjoyment watching it. I really, really did enjoy watching this film, honestly. Um, so that definitely made it on there just wasn't it, it couldn't crack that 10 with a lot of the other things that were coming out also escape room tournament of champions was another honorable mention i love the escape room movies honestly um the first movie came out and i just uh, i uh unjustifiably already wrote it off because i told myself this just gonna be, it's a PG-13 run-of-the-mill horror film from back in like the early 2000s. It's not gonna be good, there's no fun to it. And I really enjoyed the first Escape Room. You know, not much in the way of scares, but I did think it was a really, really enjoyable film, honestly, and I wanted to see more of that world. And color me surprised when Tournament of Champions was released, and that was just a really, really good movie, honestly. Um, we even watched the alternate version or the extended version, whatever you want to call it, in our watch party, actually an all-nighter earlier this year, back in the summer, um, which changed actually a little bit of the story, which is interesting. I still think I like the theatrical cut more, but uh, this is a series I really do want to see more entries in, honestly. I think if they kept cranking them out and they kept this core story going, I'd be okay with that. Uh, really really good i'm excited i'm hoping that the next one um isn't going to be too far away uh usually i would have expected an announcement by now i have hopes that we could see it next summer um maybe next fall uh but uh, give it to us give it to us because it is a really really good film 
Uh, and then the last one I really, really wanted to mention was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. You know, some might forget that with uh, Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League releasing at the beginning of this year, one of our bigger uh, pandemic releases we got. Uh, a lot of split opinion on that film. Honestly, I thought Justice League was fantastic. Um, that he released multiple films this year. And we got Army of the Dead. And a lot of people were excited, one, because we got away from the DC stuff that Zack Snyder was doing. Uh, but then, two, because Zack Snyder did, uh, years, years back, a fun zombie film called Dawn of the Dead. And everybody remembers that Dawn of the Dead, you know, the up the the uh, upgrading or making it more timely. Zombies are running and everything. And it's a good movie. Um, you can enjoy both the original Dawn of the Dead and the remake, honestly. Uh, but folks were excited for him to get back to the world of zombies. And we got some interesting lore that came out of this where, you know, there could be robots involved. There could be aliens involved as well, too. These zombies have some kind of intelligence, very similar to, like, George Romero's uh, zombies in, like, um, um, Land of the Dead and Survival of the Dead and all of that now. Um, so very interesting kind of picking up those concepts. A really, really good cast. Amari Hart Hardwick, Dave Bautista, Garrett Dillahunt. Um, we, we had a fantastic cast in this film. And it was a heist movie with zombies. And that's what works so well about it is that he wasn't remaking Dawn of the Dead. He wasn't making a sequel to that at all. Um, even though this was being developed as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead way back Wednesdays there. But obviously there's no ties to that though. Um, but really enjoyable, really fun. I found myself going back and watching it a few times. Especially just the ending uh, with Amari Hardwick and... Uh, the cranberries playing zombie that's just so on the nose and such a fantastic scene um it, like i'm excited for army of the dead too i'm excited for the prequel anime that's coming out as well um army of thieves was not that much fun honestly um and i get it it's 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 more of a spin-off prequel than it is a uh, a sequel there it's in the same world and i like that idea that you can make other genre style films in that and the same world of a franchise i think that's a great idea honestly because like if you want to use the fast and the furious as a good example of that hobbs and shaw was such a different film than all, all those other fast and furious movies whether you like it or not that's neither here or there but it was a very different film from those other fast and the furious films and i think that that can work as well with a horror franchise too you know make an action movie make a sci-fi film because a lot of franchises do do that they change their uh change their genre and there's nothing wrong with that there really really isn't anything wrong with that honestly um but yeah uh, those are my honorable mentions for the year. So let's go ahead and crack into this bottom six. And I'm going to start with a recent one here at number 10, Black Friday. So uh, Black Friday came out literally the week of Thanksgiving. I reviewed that in my episode along with Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I talked about how this movie um really is a, a like it's an ode to old b movies from like the like the 70s and the early 80s it seems with just a really really good cast like an actually a uh, a good cast around it that uplifts that material 
And, you know, from watching the trailers and what you read and hear about it, you might be expecting something that's just over the top and goofy. And it is, you know, um, the Beakers, as I call them, uh, they're the, the bad guys in Black Friday, are uh, insane. I love their makeup. I love the design of them. They're deadly. They're crazy. They're scary and kooky as well, too. And they have some great kill scenes. But... There is a lot of uh, a lot of heart in that movie as well, too, honestly, because, you know, we get scenes with our leads, uh, like with Devin Sawa in there and uh, talking a lot about how with him and Ryan Lee and they had that conversation about how Devin Sawa is like the old guy just hanging around at the retail store trying to be cool here. And that doesn't mean shit. Like who wants to be the cool guy at a, re at a retail toy store, you know? And the movie just spoke to me because, you know, I did years in retail. I, I did years at Circuit City and Blockbuster. Um, and so I knew that life. I worked numerous Black Fridays and know the hell that all those people were going through, you know, ending your Thanksgiving super early because you have to go work, opening a store at midnight or at 2 a.m. Uh, I don't have the whole, you know, zombies or aliens coming down. And uh, attacking that, I wish that would have made my Black Friday experiences way better than what they actually were. But it's hard to deny the nostalgia that came out of that. And I do feel that Black Friday is going to end up having that lasting power like films like Waiting or like Office Space to where the people that have worked those jobs are really going to relate to that. Um, because I've worked off it. I still work in office jobs. It's just at home now. And I've worked a, a serving job before. So films like Waiting in Office Space, I hold in such high regard because they're not particularly fantastic films. If you really stop and think about it, I think they are. But I, the, the people that don't agree with that, I understand it because you have to have the connection to those jobs. And I think Black Friday is one of those films to where it's going to be easy for people who have worked that retail world and have especially worked on a Black Friday to see themselves in that film. And because of that, it had to go on the top 10 because there is lasting power with this film. This is one I'm definitely going to be coming back to and has made my Christmas Thanksgiving list, um, just like with other films like Krumpus. So I'm excited about that one. Well done, uh, cast and crew of Black Friday. That's a, that's a 10 for sure right there. Number nine, and we are about to get the divisive here now uh because i didn't have a lot of kind of things to say about this but i also didn't really rip on it too too bad when i talked about this film a few months ago number nine is malignant yeah i'm gonna put malignant at number nine and i'll tell you why this film has grown on me in the uh the recent months I found myself probably not thinking about a movie more than I had Malignant after I'd seen it all year. I can't remember a movie that really had me going back and thinking, was I wrong um, when I really had to go and think about it? And I felt that way with Malignant completely because it's so fucking batshit bonkers. It's insane. And James Wan knows what he's doing with this because... Kind of like Black Friday was, Malignant seems like very much an ode to the um, a lot of the French slashers and the French horror cinema that came back back in the day where it's super gruesome and bloody and it's violent and it's brutal, but it's also just over the top. It's almost like you're watching like an art painting of a horror film is the only way I know to describe it. And after multiple times watching that movie and then remembering how much I just enjoyed gabriel's like crazy ass shenanigans in that film it had to go in my top 10 because i really realized that 
this is one film that not only did I end up actually enjoying upon later viewings, but I realized that my dislike of it made me like it more, honestly. Like, that it was so, such a hot topic for people this year that it felt weird not liking this movie, honestly. So, uh, uh, Malignant gets to be number nine on the top 10 of 2021. And uh, y'all, I'm gonna try to link as many of these in the comment section and everything so you can go back and check those reviews out and everything as well too. Uh, because I do want you to see where my feelings and thoughts might have changed on a lot of these films from when I reviewed them back then to talking about the best of 2021 now. But Malignant does take nine. I honestly feel if you go back and give it a watch, you might laugh yourself through most of it. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, honestly. I really, really don't. Number eight, Spiral. Spiral from the Book of Saw. I raved endlessly about this movie when it came out. Um, I, I've watched it multiple times since then uh, because it really is the best Saw film. It really is both the best Saw film and coincidentally the worst Saw film as well too. Um, if you go back and you check out my ratings for them, I'm pretty sure that I rank Spiral as number two. I think I rank Saw 6 above it. I might have ranked Saw 2 above it as well too, but Spiral's in the top three there. And I said it was very clear why it needed to be in there because it escapes what kind of held back most of the Saw sequels by trying to tie into that mythology and then going back and um, uh, putting things into canon and then taking things out of canon and just trying to fill in those blanks. And I think that's the problem with retconning a lot of your story is that if your story is already convoluted as it is, you can't really do more of that and still expect it to work. And I think that uh, they did a great idea just leaving that. You know, and there's still hints of the old, you know, of the old Saw series. And we do have some links to John Kramer in here, uh, but it's not really a lot. It's not like any of the other ones we got, even like Jigsaw was, because Jigsaw was an interesting film because um, it basically tried to set out to do kind of what Spiral did, but not as successfully, though. And um, Spiral, in a large way, really re uh, revitalized the series. I think that it left it open for a number of places that the series could go. And I am excited for another film, especially if they can follow up with this story. Or even if they do intersect the ideas coming from Spiral into the ideas going into Saw. There's a lot of things to be excited for in this series. But um, it's absolutely a killer film, honestly. The traps are so brutal and so gruesome and so gory and really really fun honestly some of the better traps we've gotten throughout the entire series um and even if you don't like the reveal of who the killer ends up being even if you can guess that you know 10 minutes into the film which most of you should be able to guess who the killer is going to end up being about 10 minutes into the movie i don't think that takes away from it at all and it's interesting because i think i was talking to my friend dave roberts about this actually on twitter recently about how certain slasher films um you need to know who the killer is certain ones you don't need to know and they like they work one way or the other and i think it's because we were talking about uh the fact that they're opening bets uh bet mgm is doing bets on screen five of who the killer is and how uh like that could either be ingenious or it could be one of the dumbest ideas you could ever do and i feel spiral it's pretty easy to figure out who that killer is earlier on and because the movie still works that just speaks to the strength of what they're doing with that so spiral gets to come in at number eight 
Coming in at number seven, another, another divisive one that uh, y'all are either going to be with me on and think it should be higher, or you're going to think I'm crazy and it shouldn't be on this list at all. At number seven, Halloween Kills. Yes, we got our one-year delayed release of the sequel to 2018's Halloween. Now, if you recall, 2018's Halloween retconned out all of the sequels. So Halloween 2 up to Halloween Resurrection, none of those exist in the canon anymore. Halloween 2018 was a direct sequel to the original film, and Halloween Kills is a sequel to 2018's film. So right now, we have three films in Halloween canon. We're going to end up with four between Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends. Those are going to be our, our films at that point. Now, um, with Halloween Kills, I, I still understand, looking back at what uh, some of the things I had said in my initial review of it, that it's gruesome michael myers wraps up his highest body count in any of these films i want to say with the exception of maybe halloween 5 because i think uh in halloween 5 he murdered a lot of people a lot a lot of people in that one especially at the end of that movie so i want to say the body count in halloween 5 was higher um but i have to go back and check that to know for sure but the issue was is that I think a lot of people didn't like that Jamie Lee Curtis was sidelined and not really the main character of this movie, which honestly is one of the better things about that because it kind of serves the serves the purpose of what Michael Myers was to a lot of us growing up and what a lot of these killers and slashers were in films we saw growing up because the whole idea was that uh, these killers were always after young teenage girls, babysitters, things like that, and then as we got older they started adding gravitas to killers and things and their motivations especially when it comes to michael myers michael myers and all his different continuities has had so many different um, motivations for why he's doing what he does and with halloween stripping those uh, this canon of halloween stripping most of those ideas away uh, the idea that jamie lee curtis's laurie strode isn't necessarily michael's goal is ingenious because there is no connection between the two. She just happened to be a random teenager who was home the night that Michael returned to Haddonfield all those years ago and was basically in his path, in his way. Other than that, there is no connection between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. And I, I really do enjoy that. I think all the different continuities and storylines and things like that work. You don't have to choose one um, because that's the joy of owning these movies. You don't have to choose when you go with the continuity that you like. Because I'm a fan of the Cult of Thorns storyline, personally. I think that storyline makes the most sense in my, my mind. But I like what they did with the Halloween Kills. I like putting more of a focus on characters uh uh like uh like tommy doyle and the rest of Lori's family i think uh i i think that's a great idea of how to treat the series rather than just focusing on Lori. and i think that humanizes michael uh, a little bit more weirdly where you might think it doesn't because michael really is just this mindless killing machine who he just wants to go home like it, it seems very clear that the concept here is that michael wants to go home get the fuck out of his house, get away from him there. And then let's see what happens because in both the original Halloween and now in Halloween 2018 and Halloween kills, that's seemingly been the goal here is that he's just trying to get home and there's all these people in his way. Now, what he wants past that? We don't know. And hopefully we get to find that information out in Halloween ends. But I do think that Halloween kills is better 
than people give it the credit for. There's a lot of really good storylines, especially concerning Michael Myers, that they chose to make with this movie. And if Halloween Ends can stick the landing, it's gonna end up being one of the more ingenious horror series out there that we have. It will rectify a lot of the mess that people uh, believe that this series really truly does have, which I don't think it's a mess. Again, I think you can pick and choose your timelines. This is not Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is messy as hell in my opinion. But again, I understand it's either gonna be the top for people or it's at the very, very bottom of the year for people. So. Number six, and the last one I'm going to mention here, Fear Street Part 3. Fear Street Part 3, Fear Street 1776, I believe is what it is as well, too. So, uh, we found out last year that, uh, in 2020, that, that Netflix was going to be adapting the old Fear Street novels, or that they were going to be making some movies based on the Fear Street series that R.L. Stein produced back in the day. Now, it was going to be completely different from like Goosebumps because if you recall, Goosebumps was uh, aimed towards kids, honestly. Like it was horror, but it's aimed towards kids, and that's what the two movies did as well. Whereas Fear Street was always more so, uh, it was the young adult crowd. It was the screams. It was the I Know What You Did Last Summer, things like that. Towards Bloody Air, it was a bit more violent and everything as well, too. It wasn't really for your young, young crowd. And Netflix decided that they didn't want to do straight adaptations. They didn't even want to go the Goosebumps movie route to where they're not adapting the books, but they're taking characters from the books and R.L. Stein and putting them in the real world. They just decided that the idea here is really that it's, uh, it's telling a story set in Fear Street, basically. Okay, There doesn't have to be much more connections than that. And honestly, that really, really worked. Um, the first film was a really 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 fun supernatural slasher film honestly um that we didn't get the supernatural aspect till later on in the movie but it ended up being really really enjoyable and a really secret gem especially in 2021 because i don't know if it should have been as good as it was i do feel they took a dip and i still feel that way with the second film that fear street part two was a dip in quality of the three films altogether. but i already talked about on this episode how um, uh, uh, a wrong turn. One of my honorable mentions felt like two movies in one and Fear Street Part 3 really felt that way as well too that it felt like we were getting two different films because we had the one film set back in 1776 setting up how this whole curse began and how everything kind of came to the present day and then we go back and we get a second movie in the present day with our current characters trying to finally end this curse and get everything solved up and I love that because I had so much fun watching it to where I was cool with Fear Street Part 3 ending after the old part, even though we didn't fix what was happening in modern times. Because remember, um, we went back to explain the story of what was happening to everybody back in the... Uh, uh, back in the 80s, I think that was part two where it was set at, and then going back to tell us how the curse got set up. And when we leave off the first part of Fear Street Part 3, it seems like it's the end of the film, in my opinion, and I would have been okay with that, even though it would have solved absolutely nothing. But give us Fear Street Part 4 next year, but instead, we get another movie. And when those titles popped up for Fear Street Part 3, like for the second part of Fear Street Part 3, I knew that was one of the best films i audibly laughed when i watched that for the first time uh uh earlier this uh, like back this summer on netflix because i was like no way we're getting it again because nobody would do that they know they're making a second movie there 
so awesome. Fear Street Part 3 came in at number six. I really do feel, and I said it earlier this year, um, I would be okay with Netflix putting out new Fear Street movies every year. Don't bring the same characters back. Focus on the same curse and the people have dealt with the curse there. Um, and just do that. Because clearly we were also shown there were other ghosts, there were other monsters um, that were involved in this curse, honestly. And there's some, there's still some, you know, there's there's some meat to get off that bone. I want to see that done there. So hopefully we can get more Fear Street down the line. <laughs> Excuse me. But that's our bar, uh, our our bottom 10 of the top 10 of 2021, y'all. Yeah, uh, again, just to cover that for you one more time. At 10, we have Black Friday. At 9, we have Malignant. At 8, we had Spiral. At 7, we had Halloween Kills. And at 6, we had Fear Street Part 3. So, folks, that is it uh, for this episode. I know I said I was going to cover antlers in this episode but we're gonna save that for part two so part two because i won't be reveal, uh, reviewing dexter in the next episode because i'm going on vacation so instead i'm gonna go ahead and we're gonna talk antlers and finish our top five in the next one so that's gonna do it for now y'all make sure to get over to the facebook group so you can come and join the watch party we are watching antlers and Resident Evil, welcome to Raccoon City tonight. So get to the Discord or the Facebook group so you can get the link to the Discord. Uh, but that's going to do it, folks. Happy New Year. Uh, this is it. This is it for 2021. It's our last show, folks. I really appreciate you tuning in this year. And I'm excited to see what fun we're going to have together in 2022. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Happy New Year. Stay scared.